This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's win on Senior Day against FCS Wofford. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us, so that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it. They probably have it. It's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. If you're shopping for the Carolina fan in your life, don't be like me waiting till the last minute on the holidays to kind of get all your presents. So go over to johnnytshirt.com and get the Carolina fan something that they would really love this holiday season or for yourself. You know, it's it's a big treat yourself time too. And don't forget Inside Carolina. Treat yourself. Exactly. And don't forget Inside Carolina <laughs> premium subscribers get 10% off their orders. All right. As always, it's Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. Carolina guys wins on senior day, beating Wofford 34 to 14. It was a game, uh, a pretty forgettable game for, for the most part in terms of uh, kind of what you kind of expect going up against an FCS level team. Um, but the Tar Heels, they do improve to six and five on the season and six and one at Keenan Stadium, becoming bowl eligible in the process. Mike, let's get started with you. What were your biggest takeaways? Um, I set us off air, but I've always liked British Brooks, man. I've always thought that kid could play. Um, and he, he had a pretty good game on Saturday. Uh, there were also some things that, uh, confirmed some fears that I had. And, uh, my, that, that fear is that I don't know that our guys have the uh, tools in their toolkit necessary to pick up twists, uh, which would be the same tools necessary to stop inside moves at the tackle spot. There was too much pressure. There wasn't a lot of pressure. Uh, Drake and Jacoby both had pretty decent pockets to throw with and to work with on the afternoon, but there were a few times where there were folks in their faces and there didn't need to be. And it was kind of just more of the same. Um, it, it wasn't so much, a uh, getting beat in your one-on-one assignment thing as it was not understanding the proper way to set under the circumstances. And, um, and I don't know that that's a player lapse anymore. I think it's, just a schematic thing. It's, it's just the, the way the schemes are being drawn up and the way the blocking schemes are being taught. Um, you know, and it's, that system has worked for whoever's teaching it. I'm sure for many, many eons in college football, they made a lot more money doing it than I will have and will ever make as a college football coach. So it, it works. It's just not working for us right now. Um, so that's, uh, 
that's my takeaway. You know, we've, we, we've some guys that needed to have good games that I was hoping would have good games, have the opportunity to have a good game, like a British Brooks uh, and a Jacoby Criswell came out and they played well guys that deserve it and deserve the opportunity to have a good game and to show out. They did it. And then there were also some things along the offensive line, which, you know, the same offensive line that we've been rolling with all year long was making mistakes against an FCS team that they shouldn't be making, but also did a lot of really good things in the running game that we'll get into. Uh, but they did a lot of really good things, had a lot of movement uh, at the point of attack and did a really good job on the second level. So on the whole, it was a good day, which is what you would expect from a one and nine Wofford team or whatever their record was, um, particularly an FC, a one and nine one, uh, FCS team. But, um, you know, it was a good tune-up game. And hopefully day after Thanksgiving, the tryptophan isn't setting in too hard. And, you know, we come out and we, I hate to say this, but shock the world against NC State. You got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think. <laughs> Going back to the problems kind of along the offensive line that we've seen all season, that's why I've never really subscribed to the, you know, Carolina doesn't have the talent to to be a successful team or a good team where I get I get that people think that the talent level is going to increase with the way Mac Brown has recruited, but it's it's the same point where I I've kind of been making you can't tell me that Florida State has significantly more talent. Georgia Tech has more talent. Virginia Tech has more talent where we're seeing the same way players get beat, get beat over and over. And then, like you mentioned, when when it happens against an FCS level Wofford team, it's kind red, of glaring. Red yeah, flags should start popping up that that something yeah. something is um, amiss with whatever the the process is when you're, you're trying to teach people, because uh, I, Wofford doesn't have one person on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think that would get even an offer or a look from Carolina. So I think that is worrying um, when you, when you do have those continued problems like that, but EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, My biggest takeaways uh, is that we are not very good in situational football, uh, whether it be third and short uh, fourth down situations. Um, Otherwise this is a very uneventful game. And I was kind of, as I was watching it, I was like, it's going to be kind of tough to get some takeaways from this. I mean, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to Wofford, but I mean, I don't think the level of competition is what we're used to playing with. So I really expected us to go out there and dominate, but I'm really kind of worried about how we play situational football out there. Um, There are a lot of times, um, where I thought we should have been off the field and uh, given our offense, uh, given the young guys, Drake May, uh, Chris, well, giving those guys some more time to get some more drives out there. Um, Second takeaway, uh, if your quarterback can run the ball, you have a, that probably increases your chance to beat us by 25%. Um, No, 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 again, no disrespect to to Wofford, but I mean, I mean, as everyone knew before going into this game, there is a big talent discrepancy uh, between the one and nine Wofford team uh, and the five and five Carolina team. Um, But the quarterback, they still had success running the ball. The quarterback still was able to get out and and hurt us a little bit. Um, And I really didn't like that. Um, Third, third takeaway, Raymond Vohasek, I think, is the most dominant defensive tackle in uh, the ACC. I've been singing his praises for the last three years since he stepped foot on Carolina. But, I mean, even that first play where he got the unnecessary roughness, I mean, come on. That's a borderline play from a guy who who lays it all on the line. If you know this kid's story, if you know him not getting recruited uh, out of high school to where he is now, I think in a position to really change the the landscape of his his life and his family's life by being a high, I think, at least mid-round NFL uh, draft pick. The guy just went out there and showed it. And, And let's talk about, 
the play that I think really shows what it means to be a dominant defensive player. When he took that offensive lineman and drove him back into that running back, I mean, I mean, even people who don't know much about football, I mean, my wife saw that play and was like, yeah, I, I want that guy on my team. Like, you, you don't have to know a lot about football to see that that kid's out there playing his heart out. And I, and I think my final takeaway is that when you go into these games, there's certain things that you don't want to happen. Of course, you don't want to lose the game. But the worst thing that can happen is if you go into the game against a team that's a lesser opponent, a non-conference game, especially a game late in the season, when you're really at this point playing to to, to really solidify a better bowl, not a Tuesday morning bowl in Birmingham, Alabama, where 50 people are going to show up. And hey, man, my wanna- sister lives in Birmingham. <laughs> and, and more much props to your sister i'm pretty sure she can tell you about the happening light life that's going on there but you don't want to lose one of your star players on a routine play in the very first play of the game we lose what i think is, is probably one of our best if not our best um defensive player in Aquarius Conley. um that that kid has really been coming on through the year yeah he's been making his mistakes but to see him going out there and laying down and grabbing his deal on the first play of the game I mean you, your heart automatically drops so the whole game I, the whole time I'm watching this game I mean still in the back of my mind it's like yeah I know we're going to win this game but to lose a guy like that going against up against the NC State team because I mean oh what, what we'll get into later is it, I like it might kind of alluded to I mean well, we're going to be upsetting, uh, upsetting NC State. I feel like we regress as a program to the fact that now the only thing we have to be excited about the, during the season is beating our rivals. We're not positioning ourselves for the ACC championship game, not positioning ourselves for um, for the college football playoffs, but we just want to beat NC State, have a bowl game where at least it's a cool – where the, the, t- the, the guys are thinking, that, hey, can we have a bowl game where we're going to get some good gifts? And the fans like us are thinking, hey, let's have a bowl game where at least maybe we have some guys that uh, we went to school with, some old friends are in that city, or at least it's something fun to do to kind of make it worth the trip. So, I mean, it's just – all in all, I mean, I, I, I know this is the positivity pie, but I mean, just coming, this doesn't feel like you're coming off of a win just from the spirit of knowing that we played against a lower competition team and, and, and losing Aquarius, not knowing for how long, but uh, from the how, how that injury looked, it's it's probably looking doubtful that it'll suit up for NC State. I'm, I'm not a team doctor by any means, but it's just when you see a lower body in, in injury like that, um, it, it definitely gets you worried. Yeah, that's that's a good point you made about the Jaquarius Conley play, because I kind of felt the same where when you see him go down on the opening kickoff there, it's like a, a pit in your in your stomach for the rest of the game where it's like, yeah, you won. But like at, at what cost when you lose a player that talented and and that much fun to watch when when he's at his best, he's he's like appointment watching on on the defensive side of the ball with and how he's hitting. Teams play. Yeah, a special teams play. Yeah, too, man. And it's, it's not even something like I, I saw some fans on the message board where it's it's like a vocal. Oh, my minority. God, Taylor, you got to stay off of that thing. It's what like is a, the matter with it's you? like a vocal minority. I know, but it's like people are complaining that he's out there on kick kick return against like an FCS level team. It's football. Like mm-hmm. if if he was going to get hurt there, you know, there, there's just as likely a chance he gets hurt on, on another play on defense. So it's not like you could put players in bubble wrap and. You know, well, and, make, the, and the best and the best special teams teams put their starters on special teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes. you never know when you're going to get hurt. I mean, before playing Virginia Tech my senior year, I was getting up in the middle of the night to go get some water at two o'clock in the morning. And one of my roommates, uh, do- uh, girlfriend's dog was there. 
peed in the floor on hard hardwood floors. I slipped it a full split and missed my first practice. Uh, uh, but the first practice I've ever missed during game week, which which kind of threatened a starting streak for me. So yeah, I mean to to answer that to fans, yeah. You, you probably don't – in a perfect world, you wouldn't want to see him out there. But at the end of the day, we're out there to execute and win a game, and we're going to respect Wofford just like we would any other opponent. So we're not going to take him off that field because hey, when, when it comes time, when it when it's what we call nut-cutting time in the NFL on the next level, when it comes down between him and another safety that's just as good as him, the coaches are going to want to see those special team plays. So th- that's why he's out there. I, I have to address something first. Was was slipped on dog pee? On the injury report, how did how did the coaches kind of take that? I don't know how creative we got with that. I don't even think they believed us, but I mean, like I call I call the trainers immediately, like, hey, this this just happened. I don't want you to think that we were like we we just thought of some creative reason because I mean, if a twenty one year old kid comes and tell you that he's slipping dog pee in the middle of the night, and especially. The, the the personality I had when I was in Carolina, I, I don't think it'd have been very believable. So I had to make sure I, I crossed my eyes and dotted my T's. <laughs> Cross the eyes and dot the T's. That's right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Jaquarius Conley injury, uh, EJ. When when you look at the defense, how big of a loss do you think that will be for the UNC defense against State and in the bowl game? Because Inside Carolina has kind of already reported that the sources are saying that Conley's going to miss the remainder of the year. Uh, it, it's definitely a tough blow. I mean, definitely from the energy that he has out there. Um, as far as from a, a, a responsibility play to play uh, thing, I do think with, with Cam Kelly and um, Geo Biggers, I do think that we can kind of kind of cover up for him. Of course, as we said all year, he's probably our most dynamic player, the player that looks mo- most like an NFL player, like a top elite type of guy that will play in the SEC that that, that kind of fits the past look test basically he's that guy on our defense and I, I do think we're going to miss him um, we're going to miss his attitude especially going up against um, an NC State team who really has a position or was in a position to do something special and I mean and we've had their number the last couple of years so these guys are going to be ready to play it's going to be a physical game uh, records can go out of the window so I do think we're going to miss that miss him from an attitude standpoint but I'm very confident uh, with the way that Cam Kelly's been playing with the way Geo Bigger's been playing that we'll have everything uh buttoned up uh for as well as that we can have it for as well as we can have it buttoned up <laughs> yeah for for the most part I guess I forgot to give my takeaways too and this kind of leads into the next question I had this this felt like a team that was going up against an FCS team that knew they were going up an FCS team and it felt like a team that was kind of going through the motions like the the biggest thing to watch from that game was the the post Sam Howell error for Carolina football with with uh, in terms of the quarterback between Jacoby Criswell and Drake May. I think both of them had plays that they probably wish they had back, but both of them showed a lot of positive signs. So, Mike, when you're when you're looking at this game, UNC gets a head start on next year trying to identify their future quarterback. What did you think of their play? I thought they both had good games considering it's the first real action either of them, either of them has seen uh, all season long. And <clears throat> the one thing I will say is I came out of this not knowing who the guy is going to be next year. Now, there's going to be a competition in camp. There's going to be a competition in the offseason. Both those guys know it. And they're going to, you know, there's, there's going to be some feelings hurt at the end of it because they can both play. They're both good players. And I will say that, you know, fans need to rest assured that you've got two quarterbacks in that room right now. You could flip a coin. And if either one of them, it doesn't matter which one's starting, you've got a chance to win with the guy, with the guy that's throwing the ball. Jacoby is a guy uh, decorated at a high school, was, was passed over by some of the schools that he wanted to go to, 
Carolina wanted him. Carolina stuck with him through recruiting. He stuck with us through recruiting. He came here, um, you know, and, and he's, and he's obviously been sitting behind Sam, but he was Gatorade player of the year in high school, Mr. Football in the state of Arkansas. I think he was too. Um, you know, and when Arkansas, when Sam Pittman got that job at Arkansas and came calling, Jacoby stayed with us instead of going to Arkansas, which is where, you know, he really wanted to be. Um, he stayed with us, which I thought meant a lot. It showed you a lot about who he is from a character standpoint. And some of the things he did in the game in terms of his mobility, his ability to throw on the run, uh, working through his progressions, making the right read and throwing very catchable footballs all looked really good. Um, so Jacoby, I think is, I mean, he is a viable candidate for that starting job next year. And I know in his mind, it's his job. Um, he's been here longer than Drake. It's his job in his mind. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how he competes. The flip side is Drake may, you know, it, his dad, the first freshman to ever start at quarterback for Carolina, um, is his brother, right? I mean, star basketball player here. I mean, the may bloodline. His in mom. Hill. <laughs> yeah. His mom, his mom. Yeah. The, the, the May bloodline in Chapel Hill runs real deep and real thick. Um, so he's expecting to be that guy coming in next year. He's expecting to go in. He's expecting to in, – in, in the offseason, he's probably expecting to win that quarterback job and, and win that competition. Um, and he did a lot of things that made me think he probably could. Um, he, you know, he's a big kid, 6'5", 220. Um, you know, he's, he looks real comfortable and calm in the pocket. He's like a Justin Herbert type. He's not, he's real big, real lanky, but he's, his feet are, they move, but they're quiet. There's not herky jerky. He doesn't look erratic. He just looks very comfortable back there, real smooth back there. Um, and he, he's another one, just like Jacoby throws a real catchable football, um, and clearly knows the offense. I mean, he's, he, for a guy who probably isn't getting a ton of reps in practice, knew enough of the offense to come out and execute some things and do well. And like you said, Taylor, he had some plays that you would like to have back, but for a guy who's basically not played all season long to come in and, 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 and shepherd some drives there. I mean, he looked pretty good. So the reality is, and everybody knows this in the age of the transfer portal is that one of these guys is probably going to be on the roster. The start, whoever wins the starting job is probably going to be on the roster next year and be our starter. And the other guy might not be here. And that's just the reality. I don't know that to be true. I don't know what's in their minds. I don't know what they're thinking. But I do know that either, either of those guys can start at most schools. And if I know that, then they know that. If I know that from watching one game and watching, you know, basically a half a game for each of them. And I know that these, these are both guys that are capable of starting basically anywhere. Um, they know that too. So in the age of the transfer portal, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, you know, you saw the guy who wins the job obviously stick around and the guy who doesn't win the job maybe ends up somewhere else or, you know, says he's going to go somewhere else and, and at least sits out the year and enters the portal. Um, that would be unfortunate. I'd love to have both guys here, and I hope we do have both guys here. But I saw enough production and enough talent out of both of them to think that, you know, when, when feelings get hurt in this competition here in the offseason, which, like I said, someone's feelings are going to get hurt, um, there's going to be a really hard decision that we're going to have to make as a staff really hard decision that one of those guys are going to have to make personally for their own careers too. Yeah. Before Saturday, Drake may had played in two games for like five total snaps and all yeah. snaps were, were handoffs. So it was good to see him in live action for the first time. And it was good to see somebody like Jacoby Criswell, who was in action for the first time that wasn't, you know, mop up duty in the fourth quarter when Carolina's up 30 points or, or whatever it has been in the past, but kind of going off your point, I, I, I'm glad I'm not the person who is making 
a choice between these two in the future, because from what I saw on Saturday, there isn't much separating them and all reports and from talking to people inside the program, there, there hasn't been that much to separate them at this point. I know Criswell has gone in as the second string quarterback for the most part, and he started the game on Saturday. But when you talk to people inside the program, it, it really is super close between these two. So it's, it's a, it's a decision. I'm glad I am not making. Um, but I think you're right, Mike, where either, either option you go with, Carolina can win games, especially with the talent you're, you're starting to see mm-hmm. um, outside at receiver. And if you get if Anton Green does come back and you have a Josh Downs and a J.J. Jones and you have uh, <laughs> That's e- a serious, that is e- a serious receiving core. Yeah. E- even with some of the um, incoming guys coming in, I know they just got uh, Andre Green, a four star receiver, and a lot of people are expecting him to um, be an impact player kind of right away. Um, after he picked Carolina over Georgia and Clemson and Carolina's winning these recruiting battles against these schools now. So the talent is coming and it it really comes down to do they hit on the quarterback prospect of either Drake May or Jacoby Criswell. The other thing, you know, either either one of these quarterbacks, you have huge shoes to fill coming in behind Sam Howell, who's (laughs) the best quarterback we've seen at Carolina. And not only if it if it is Drake May, you have huge shoes to fill in Sam Howell. And you also have, like you guys were mentioning, the legacy of the May family in Chapel Hill, where, you know, your dad was a starting quarterback. Your brother hit maybe the most famous shot outside of maybe Michael Jordan's uh, game winner in the national championship in um, 82. But the shot against Kentucky, it's 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 another situation where I'm glad I'm not in because I don't think I would be able to handle it that well. Um, knowing, knowing the kind of uh, history and well, expectations. And Max, Max got recruiting promises. He's got to keep too. I mean, keep that in the back of your mind. I mean, I don't want to be Mac making this decision. Yeah. I don't want to be Phil Longo. I mean, I don't want to beat these guys. I mean, it's if, if it comes down and that, and that, and those two aren't separated coming in to the beginning of the year, I mean, maybe they try and, you know, get cute and they have a dual quarterback thing until these guys separate themselves right and re- and really sift themselves apart um i don't think that's going to work i mean it i think it's I, I i'm a firm believer in the old adage that if you have two quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks mm-hmm. um you know you, there's one guy he's got to be the starter you got to go with him um if they do happen to open the season with both guys on the roster you know maybe it's because they got to keep recruiting promises you know to to a couple of them to both of them maybe it's because they got to you know, they don't want one of them to enter the portal because what if one of them gets hurt? They need the other as an insurance policy. Or maybe they really can't make up their mind because the competition was that close. I hope that's not the scenario that we end up with. Um, but, you know, if it is, you have to trust the staff will, you know, make the most of it and make it work because, you know, this is not the next year is not taking a step back. It's not an option because a step back from the season we're currently having is a non-bowl season. There, there is no step back at this point. I mean, this season was a step back, even with all the talent that we had coming back. This was a step back from where the trajectory was going. We can't take another step back or then, you know, you know, we'll, I guess we'll just have to say that the brightest stars burn out the fastest and ours burnt out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we got, we, we're going to have to keep the trajectory going. So whatever they got to do to make that happen, you know, if it's two quarterbacks, they, they better make it work. Um, but if one guy starts to separate himself, they better hope they're right on him because the other one might be gone. Yeah, I'm smiling so much when you mentioned the two quarterback system because I think all Carolina fans kind of get uh, like almost like a PTSD when you mention the two quarterback system when they think back to I think it was 20, 2014 where it was 
Queese and every like third series, Mitch Trubisky would come in. And hold on a second. Joe Daly and Cam Sexton in 2006. Oh, that was work. before my time. It <laughs> didn't, didn't work. work. <laughs> didn't work. Did not work. Two studs. Two, two studs. Joe Daly starting quarterback as a freshman in Nebraska, set all kinds of records, came to Carolina. And he was number one dual threat quarterback in high school coming out of high school. Joe Daly was a player at quarterback. Cam Sexton, Florida State recruit. I mean, this is back old Bobby Bowden, Florida State, like good early 2000s Florida State. Um, turned down Florida State, came to Chapel Hill. He was a five-star or four-star recruit. Um, they split time, and it, 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 was the, it was detrimental to both of their development. Yeah. There were yeah. no winners in that situation. Definitely not us. We only won three games that year. <laughs> yeah, the 2014 team wasn't, wasn't much better. Uh, we did make it to a bowl game, but the, the rotation between Marquise and um, Mitch just never really worked, and it led to 2015, the coaching staff kind of just deciding, you know what, Queese is going to be our quarterback the whole time, and Mitch trusted that eventually his time was going to come, and it, it did. So it's crazy to see when you have two quarterbacks as talented as the two you mentioned, as talented as Marquise and then Mitch Trubisky, who goes number two in the NFL draft, how even a two-quarterback system didn't work there. So I think if you're a Carolina fan and somebody who's invested in the program, you, you'd rather them choose one and, and roll with one at this point. But EJ, did any of the young guys impress you on the side of the ball against Wofford? Because I think Outside of the quarterbacks, the other thing people were kind of looking forward to was seeing more young talent and not seeing as much as the older guys when you can get a lead and you have you have more room to kind of experiment and try out some younger guys. Um, I think it's really kind of, kind of the same cast of characters that we've really been seeing all year. Um, the same group of guys I've really been impressed with. Uh, Miles Murphy. Um, I actually I happen to know um, one of the guys professionally that used to coach Miles, and every time I see him, I said, this kid's going out there making himself more and more money every time he steps on the field. I mean, he's. I, I, I think that the more that you watch him play, you see that he's picking up a lot of things that are in Ray's game, and I think that Ray Vahasek's game, and I think the most important part he's picking up is this nasty is in his mean streak. I mean, I saw Miles Murphy making plays down the field. When you see a big guy like that mm -hmm. making plays down the field, I mean, he reminds me of another defensive tackle that wore single digit to play with us, uh, Mr. Marvin Austin. He, I think that he has that kind of motor. So he impressed me. Um, Mr. Hester uh, in the middle there, he, he definitely impressed me as well. I definitely think that we have a good rotation of guys that are coming back next year. Um, Kimon Rucker, I really think that he's going to be a force on the edge. I mean, once he really, if, if we, he can get someone to really start working and adding to a pass rush repertoire um, to some of that natural ability, power, um, work ethic, um, tenacity that he has. I think he's going to be a really special player for us. Um, th those guys really stood out as they always do. I mean, we had, I mean, Cedric Gray, he's, he struggled on a couple of plays, kind of got caught out in space a little bit, I think. Um, but um, I, I definitely think that those were the guys that really stood out. Um, I'm not worried about the, the younger guys that we have coming on. I'm not worried about the talent level, but what I am worried about is, is still our ability to stop the run. I, I mean, you, you hear me kind of excited about these young guys that are in the middle, but yeah, these young guys that are playing now are going to be the same young guys that are going to be next year, minus one of the best linebackers we've had in the past few years, uh, Mr. Jeremiah Gimmel, who's also going to be replaced by another capable uh, linebacker, I, I feel like, in Power Echoes, but he's just not Jeremiah Gimmel. I think that he his learning curve is going to be a little bit shorter, and he's going to come along and be that be a player a little bit earlier, but 
that worries me. It, it worries me a lot. But um, because that learning curve is going to be there. Yeah, learning, it, he's he's got to have. He's got to go through that learning curve, even if it's shorter. He's still got to go through it. Exactly, and and, and that's really me. Me saying the learning curve is going to be shorter, as Mike could tell you, he's not really saying much for the inside linebacker because I mean, when, when you think about it, and, and I hope no one takes this the wrong way, the further you move away from the ball, the less cerebral the game gets, but the more athletic you have to be. So you think about the guys in the middle of that field. Um, like like I was um uh, just thinking when when Mike was talking. The, um, the, the quarterback position, you can't have two quarterbacks because they're, there's more that comes of that than just starting position. There's a different responsibility. There's how you view in the media. There's how you view it amongst your teammates. That's how you're viewed amongst campus. It's a, it's a, it's a level of expectation of, of leadership that you're expected to bring to the table by being a quarterback. You're supposed to handle things and handle certain situations. Same thing with the center. The center is the quarterback of the, of the offensive line room. Mm-hmm. That, that guy needs to be just as cerebral because he's making calls that even the quarterback not making and in a lot of offenses the court the, the center is going to be the guy that's going to be controlling uh where, where, where the uh pad where, where the line blocks where they slide to all different types of things so i mean it's the same thing with, with inside linebacker and nose tackle those guys have to be smart with the nose tackle you have to be able to diagnose the block that you're getting in a split second because things happen so fast uh that close to the ball so i mean with, with guys not only are you standing up seven yards in, in what we like to call the contact zone you're close to the ball. Your, your reaction time needs to be on par. Your your, diag- your diagnosis of plays needs to be on par. You need to be able to not stick on blocks. You can't be catching blocks. So, um, the, yeah, the, it, it's a drastic learning curve, but because he's been able to play some and because of his natural athletic ability, I think he's going to be over, be able to overcome that. But until we can stop the run, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what type of four or five-star pass rusher we get on the outside because if we can't, if we can't stop the run, then we can't do all these things. I mean, over the last few weeks, we've been getting more pressure on the quarterback and been able to run some of these games and twists that we execute so well. But all of that really relies on um, stopping the run. On offense, the sign of a good offense is being able to run the ball when you want to, when you have to, and when you need to. For a deep for for a defense, you need to be able to stop the run. You need to put them in second and long situations to where it, and knock the offense off a of rhythm. I always took pride as a defensive player in knowing that we came into the game, hit them in the mouth, and and knowing that they can't run their normal script of twenty five of their first twenty five plays because they're in third and long every situation because we've hit them in the mouth and stopped the run. So I, I think that as as, as the, the, the casual listener, the casual fan might not understand that stopping the run is more than than just an attitude thing. It really controls everything else that happens with the offense. I mean, down to a game plan level. If you can't run the ball, you can't ex- execute your game plan unless you're one of those teams that has a big-time quarterback and a big-time wide receiver and can just go out there and throw the ball 50, yard, 50 times a game and be successful. But we don't have that type. I mean, we, 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 we need to – we're not going to play against those type of offenses too often. Um, we're playing in ACC. Teams like to run the ball. So until we can do that, it doesn't matter how much young talent we have because teams are always going to be able to neutralize that talent. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned on the on the topic of young players, I'm glad you mentioned Kevin Hester Jr. He graded out as the highest defensive player at 78.2. Second was Miles Murphy. Third was another young player, DeAndre Boykins in the secondary. Fourth was Jeremiah Gemmel. And the point about Jeremiah Gemmel that I just wanted to make real quick was um, a lot. I think a lot of people have to be careful with 
almost like what you wish for on the defensive side of the ball. I've seen a lot of people say like, you know, let's, let's start playing Jeremiah Gimmel less because we have to get some of these young guys more. And it's a case like Jeremiah Gimmel is like, there, there's a lot of problems for this defense. Let's, let's play Sam Howell less on offense. Yeah. <laughs> it's great the, idea. We in uh, like, I could think from, from experience in 2014, I think the team that had a really bad defense, Trey Boston took a ton of flack. I remember for people making him kind of the scapegoat for, for the defensive side of the ball. And then he goes to the NFL and he has a, you know, he's, he's not on a team now, but he he's had a successful NFL career and he's made a ton of NFL plays where I remember thinking at the time, Trey is not the problem. And like a lot of people I see, I see on like social media and everywhere in, in the media, Trey was getting a lot of the blame. Trey wasn't the problem on the defensive side of the ball. That was a defense that was a house of cards defense where one wrong move, everything else was going to go bad. Trey had the most athleticism to kind of make up for it. He always looked like he was the one out of position when he's chasing it down. We saw the same thing kind of last year with somebody like Chaz Surratt, Mm -hmm. where Chaz Surratt is just constantly around the ball. So you can blame him, but at the same time, if you, if you know the play calls and you know what's going on, it's it's not Chasserat. Chasserat's making up for a lot of defensive problems, and you've kind of seen some of those defensive problems um, come to come to the surface this year without somebody like Chasserat to account for it. And I think Jeremiah Gemmel is is kind of in that same boat of Trey Boston and and Chasserat, where they're the leaders on the defense, so they're taking the most heat for when things don't go well, but replacing somebody like Jeremiah Gemmel, like you mentioned, DJ, it, it's going to be something that's extremely tough to do. But Mike, I wanted to ask you the same question. Were there any young guys that kind of impressed you out there outside of the quarterbacks? Uh, JJ Jones, that receiver. I mean, I think, I think that kid's going to be able to play. Um, he, he's going to be a player for us. Um, he's, he's shown flashes in earlier games. He just hasn't gotten a ton of run this year, but when he's in there, and he's targeted, he typically ends up making some play that makes you go, oh, I, I see why he was highly recruited. I see why he's got a scholarship. Like, I see why he's – I see why people are excited about him. Internally and externally, uh, folks are excited about him. Um, so I think, I think J.J. Jones is a guy that, um, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that's a heck of a receiving core. I said that because his name is in that group of guys you mentioned. You know, if you got Antoine Green, if you got uh, Josh Downs, and you got a J.J. Jones as your, as your top three receivers – you know, that's, that's a pretty good group to have. And listen, Justin Olsen can play too. I mean, he's, I don't know that he's, I don't know that he's your number three. I think maybe he's a number four rotational guy, um, but he's a guy who can come in and he can, he can give you some catches and give you some possessions too. So that's a, I mean, that's a strong room assuming you have, you know, that, that four, that four core guys coming back. But JJ Jones was a guy I was, I was, I was impressed with. Especially if you're, if you're breaking in a new quarterback, you don't want to go, new quarterback, new receivers. It's, yeah. If you have a new quarterback, you'd like an experienced wide receiver group. If you have a young wide receiver group, kind of like going into this year, you want an experienced quarterback like Sam Howell. So I think it does provide a pretty good balance. And uh, th- I had the same note that JJ Jones was somebody who really impressed me uh, the way he, the way he positions himself downfield mm-hmm. and adjusts to the ball in air. He's got great hands. He's, he's got great size, great speed. I think he's, he's going to be a player. And like you mentioned, if, if you're going into next year, I think going into this year, the receivers were a huge question mark. Um, just, you didn't know what they had 
injury wise, you you were missing somebody like Bo Corrales. You're waiting for guys like Anton Green, Emery Simmons, Choffrey Brown to kind of reach the next level. And then Emery Simmons and Choffrey Brown transfer midseason. So the receivers have kind of been up and down all year outside of Josh Downs, who has been amazing this entire season. And then Anton, Antoine Green has come on real strong. So if you're going into next year and all reports are that Anton, Antoine Green is planning on coming back. So if you're going into next year with Josh Downs, J.J. Jones, and Antoine Green as, as your big three receivers, and then you have Andre Green, the freshman coming in, you have Kobe Pesor, you have Justin Olsen, who's proven what he could do recently. Um, with a young quarterback, that's, that's a receiving group that I trust. I don't think when we went into the Virginia Tech game, anybody could say they, they really trusted the receivers that they had out there, especially with Bo Corrales out. It didn't, look like, it didn't look like Sam did. No, he definitely didn't. So going into next year, I think that's a it's on paper. The receivers, I think, should be UNC's best strength on offense, despite whoever comes back on the offensive line, despite whatever you have in the running back room, replacing Ty Chandler. And of course, at the quarterback position where uh, you're replacing somebody like Sam Howell. But um, Mike, we, we kind of hit on this earlier with the offensive line, but as an offense, how worrying is it that they did only manage to put up 34 points against a one and nine FCS team, including getting shut out in the fourth quarter where they had the one drive where they couldn't punch it in from second and goal in the one? Because I, I was listening to the day after podcast and Buck made the comment that he, he kind of misses the fedora days where against the FCS teams, you, you knew we were putting up. 70 80 points and uh setting all kinds of records when we were going up the elons and shout out to taylor heineke in the league we, we played him when he was at odu we beat him 80 to 20 and now he's in the nfl balling out uh, against the panthers but how worrying is it as an offense to to only see them put up 34 points and um have a have a waffer team make them kind of look pretty pedestrian at times is more concerning that we gave up 14 than it is that we only scored 34. Um, when I saw the final score, uh, when I saw the final score come out of 34, 14, I, I couldn't believe, and I, full disclosure game was blacked out. I had to catch it after the fact. So I, I saw the game today. I didn't get to see it live yesterday. When I saw the final score, we had 14 given up. Uh, that was my concern. It wasn't so much, you know, that we only scored 34 points. I, I would have liked to have obviously seen 52 on the border, you know, uh, you know, a, a point dump on them on offense, but you know, we're, we went into that game. Sam didn't play at all. Um, we had two backup quarterbacks coming in really as a tryout phase. I mean, the first half was Jacoby second half, you know, for the most part, how it all worked out is a half a game with a Jacoby half a game went to may, you know, and they, and that's how they played. And, or that's how that's how the that's how the offense rolled out there. I mean, and um, when you have that, and you've got a bunch of new guys playing, like you know, JJ Jones getting significant snaps. British Brooks is back there running the ball. Who again, I thought did a fantastic job. You know, the only real, you know, everyday starters you had on that field were Antoine Green, Josh Downs, and your offensive line. You know, but when you've got key player, you know, we got key positions, new guys rotating in. Um, I think the coaches saw this as sort of a tryout game. So 34 points, given that, you know, given that, that this was essentially, you know, an audition for a lot of these younger guys, you know, sort of a, a cleanup game, a, a fundamentals game, get some of these younger players some game reps and, 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 and help get them some of that exposure that they've been lacking all season long. The fact that this group could still put up 34 points, I think, 
you know, spin zone here is actually way more of a positive than a negative. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect a backup quarterback with some backup receivers to come in a game, whether when we're talking about whether it's Jacoby or whether it's Drake may to come in and put up 34 points, you wouldn't expect them to put up 21 points. And they did, you know, they did um, British Brooks ran the ball fantastically. I thought a lot of that was because he had massive gaps to run through. I thought the offensive line did a really good job in the run game. And, and, you know, the reason they were able to put up 34 points was because the offensive line, again, on the whole did a really good job in pass protection, did a great job in the run that run obviously set up the pass. It took a lot of pressure off those young quarterbacks, took a lot of pressure off those receivers and let them sort of pitch and catch and do some good things uh, yesterday, um, Saturday for the folks, you know, hearing this on Monday morning. Um, but um, I think that the 34 points was more impressive than pedestrian um, given the, given the personnel that we had on the field and really what this game was supposed to be, which again was more of an audition than anything else. Yeah, I guess I'm just more so thinking of that. The the goal line stand, I think it scarred me. Yeah. It scarred it should, I mean, uh, <laughs> listen, with, the, with, with our offensive line, that's our starting offensive line. And if it's it, you know, or a combination of guys who have started X number of games and played God knows how many hundreds of snaps this season already, um, that absolutely should not happen. Um, you know, you've got a get, but you got a Drake May back there who hasn't played. Um, you know, it's his first action down there in a, in a must have situation. And, you know, he's, He's learning, but, you know, that should have never come down to that. It should have never come down to fourth down down there on the goal line. You know, with our offensive line, we should have been able to just open that thing up and, and score. But, you know, that that was a little frustrating. But take that goal line stuff, take that out of the equation. I thought everything else was was as good or better than I expected to see, frankly. All right. Concluding the podcast, we're ending it with say something nice. EJ, we're starting with you. What's your say something nice? <sighs> Oh my gosh, it should be a lot easier. Um, but Mike just made a, point, a very good point that um, we had a lot of people out on offense and defense. That was kind of business as usual. Um, but say something nice. Um, it's hate week, baby. It's it, hate it, week. It's, it's, it's hate week. I, I really, I really would say that. But honestly, I mean, not having uh, Jaquarius Conley going into hate week ha, ha, has a different spin on it. I mean, I mean, I, taking I really, a little I really wind out of the sail. It, it has that. taken a little wind out of the sail. So my say something nice is going to be that that in his absence, I do think that uh, the guys that stepped in for him, Cam Kelly, Giovanni Biggers, I do think that those guys uh, had a decent performance. Um, they, they definitely came up and made some good tackles, but um, all in all, we are going to miss that kid. Um, I hope you get well. I, I doubt you listen to this podcast, but if anybody around them listen to it, man, we're praying for you. I definitely want to see you get back on that field and make an impact for us next season. But um, yeah, it's hate week. <laughs> it's hate week. <laughs> I'm going to go with the player that we already talked about. Somebody like British Brooks, who's, a senior on senior day, he rushes for 89 yards. He gets two touchdowns. He's a special teams captain, so he plays a, a huge role for this team that might go unnoticed a lot of times um, by by the casual fan or just the the casual observer. Um, but when when you do get to have your your senior day moment like he does, it's it's against an FCS team in Wofford, but you know five, 10 years from now, that won't matter when you could tell everybody you almost rushed for a hundred yards and scored two touchdowns on your senior day. So I thought that was a really cool moment for him. And he, he has been outside of the, the um, Texas A&M orange bowl game. Every time he's come in, he's been, he's, he's looked like he could go almost to any, uh, if he could drop down a level, 
and be a star running back for just about any other team in, in a mid-major type of conference or if he wanted to go down to like the FCS level. But he stuck it out at Carolina. He's a, a I think he's from right outside Charlotte, Gastonia, if I if memory serves me right. But um, so that's all we have this week on the podcast. Carolina, the regular season concludes on Friday, Black Friday. Carolina goes to a ranked NC State. Yuck. Yeah. It's, tough. It's, it's tough to say it. tough to say a ranked NC State when Carolina is unranked. But Carolina has won the past two games uh, by a combined score of 89 to 31. Quick math right there by me looking at the 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 recent history page with Taylor, Carolina. Taylor, shout out to me. Quick math. <laughs> a, little, a little back pat oh, there. But we will be back to talk about it. As always, guys, always a pleasure. (laughs) Definitely, man. (laughs) See you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.